This morning's text is from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We'll be reading verses 17 through 26. But in giving this instruction, I do not praise you, because you come together not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that divisions exist among you, and in part I believe it. For there must also be factions among you, in order that those who are approved may have become evident among you. Therefore, when you meet together, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in your eating, each one takes his own supper first, and one is hungry and another is drunk. What? Do you not have houses in which to eat and drink? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? In this I will not praise you. For I have received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. It's fitting that in a series on worship, we deal with the place and the meaning of the Lord's Supper in worship, which is what I want to do for a few minutes this morning before we come to the table. The eating of the Lord's Supper in the New Testament is never called worship. And the gathering of the church to eat the Lord's Supper is never called worship in the New Testament. In fact, no services in the New Testament are ever called worship. And the reason I stress this week after week is to break us of the habit in our language and in our minds of equating worship with what we're doing right now. This is worship. And we should probably use a term like corporate worship or gathered worship or congregational worship because for many of us we make a dreadful mistake in our thinking as well as our language when the only time we ever use the word worship is to refer to this event and some of us an even worse mistake to part of this event well, the New Testament never refers to this event as worship. And there's a reason for that that we've been developing over these last three or four weeks. Namely, that in the New Testament, the radical point about worship is that it is driven into the heart as a matter of spirit and truth. And it flows out of the heart in all of life not mainly in services. And thus we have defined the essence of worship as the inner experience of treasuring the beauty and truth of Christ. The essence of worship is the inner experience of treasuring, valuing, cherishing, 
the beauty and the truth and the worth of Christ. And secondly, we've said that the outward forms of worship are the ways that this inner experience of treasuring expresses itself. So things you do that show how valuable Christ is to you is worship. Or the way you do ordinary things that is shaped by the valuing of Christ becomes worship. All of life in the New Testament, not Sunday morning events, is worship. Thus in 1 Corinthians 10.31 we read, Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. That is, make it all an echo of the excellency of Christ. It is probably hard to even think of a person as a Christian who conceives of this event as the only worship in their lives. I doubt that you can really be a Christian if you do not view what you're going to do at 3 o'clock this afternoon as worship. Even if you take a nap, which I thoroughly intend to do. <laughs> or eat supper. Or have sex. Or anything else. Christians are people who have learned that to be a Christian is to treasure Christ. And then to let that Show. Nevertheless, the Lord's Supper is to be done in a corporate setting and is to express worship. Look at verse 18 for this corporate setting. Verse 18 of 1 Corinthians 11. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, let those words sink in and drop down to verse 20. Therefore, when you meet together, he's going to criticize them here. It's not to eat the Lord's Supper. In other words, you're coming together to stuff your face with your own meals and drink until you're drunk. And then you call this little thing that you do the Lord's Supper. But the point here is, the Lord's Supper is a gathered event. I am very picky about where I think we should do the Lord's Supper. I don't think the Lord's Supper should be scattered about in every little one-on-one -on -one gathering. I don't do Lord's Suppers at weddings for a husband and a wife. Don't take offense if you did that at your wedding. Just don't ask me to do it. I think the Lord's Supper is an event of the gathered church. It is communion. We who eat of one bread, do we not participate in the one body? Chapter 10, verse 16, and so on. When you come together as a church, verse 18, 
the spirit and demeanor of your coming together is to be a focus on the Lord, not a brawl of feasting. Now mark this. Paul says in verse 22, What? Don't you have houses in which to eat and drink? Sometimes people have asked me, You call that a supper? <laughs> a little teeny fragment of cracker? And a cup you can barely taste? Supper? Now there is a point for this leanness. And it's in verse 22. Don't you have houses where you can eat and drink and satisfy your physical needs for food and your physical need for drink? That is not the Lord's Supper, he's saying. Take care of that at breakfast on Sunday morning. And come here hungry for me. And when you hold that little nothing for your body. And that little nothing for your tongue. Realize it is not the flesh that profits anything. But it is spirit and life. Or it is nothing. There's a reason behind this leanness, folks. There's a supper here for your soul. If you feed on Christ. Now there are in this text three ways that we are pointed to worship. That is to express the treasuring of Christ in the Lord's Supper. I'll just give you the three key words. Remembering. We treasure him by remembering, proclaiming, we treasure him by proclaiming, and nourishing. We treasure him by nourishing our souls with him. Let me just point you to each of those three as we move to the table. The first is remembering. Let's read 23 to 24. These are the institution words. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this. Here's the key in remembrance of me. In verse 25, in the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So the first meaning or the first way of expressing by the Lord's Supper the treasuring that we have of Christ in our heart is to remember Christ. So, the Lord's Supper in just a moment will become worship. If in our hearts we are saying, He is worth remembering. His death is infinitely worth remembering more than any other death, more than any other person. This person should be remembered and this person's death should be called to mind. If you're saying something like that, it's worship. Secondly, proclaiming. Verse 26. 
For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's, you proclaim, proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So if you take those two, remembering and proclaiming, you can think of them like this. Remembering is calling Christ and his work up into our mind. And proclaiming is taking it from our mind and putting it either in symbol or word and announcing it to each other. And that's the way worship usually flows, isn't it? That you perceive the value or the worth or the beauty of Christ and you remember it and you feel it and you cherish it and you treasure it. And if you treasure something that is of wide relevance to other people, you can't authentically treasure it and not proclaim it. And therefore, publicly, Jesus said, as a gathered church, when the church comes together with something you can hold in your hand and put in your mouth, make it visible, make it hearable, make it tasteable, make it seeable, proclaim the worth of the Lord Jesus. So that's the second way we worship by the Lord's table. First, we remember because there's no one worth remembering like him. And second, we proclaim because there's no one worth proclaiming like him. And finally, nourishing our souls on Christ. We worship Christ at this table And as you hold that little fragment in your hand and as you hold the cup in your hand, we worship to the degree that in the eating and in the drinking, we are nourishing ourselves on Christ. Now, where does that come from in the text? Well, first of all, this isn't the only text on the Lord's Supper. But it's here implicit, and then I'll take you to one other. We are eating bread and we are drinking the cup. Eating and drinking has a meaning. It's different than hammering nails or preaching a sermon. Eating means nourishing life. Drinking means Nourishing life, eating and drinking is a nourishing. There's a meaning here for why we're doing this and not something else. Why he said bread and cup, eat, drink, means nourish. But the question is, how does it work? And here the church of Jesus Christ has divided. I'll outline the three views and locate ourselves in one of them. For the Roman Catholics, they speak of the elements being transubstantiated. You all know that word, transubstantiation, meaning that when the priest stands over the elements and consecrates them by his presence and word, they actually and literally and miraculously become 
transformed, transubstantiated into another substance, namely the literal physical body and blood of Jesus, which to eat and to drink is to receive saving grace. That's the Catholic viewpoint. The Lutheran viewpoint is called consubstantiation, not trans, but consubstantiation, meaning that the bread and the wine remain bread and wine. They are not transubstantiated into another reality. They remain bread and wine, but along with them, consubstantiated, along with them is the literal, physical body of Christ. The Reformed view, which we hold, says that the wine and the bread or juice are emblems or representatives or symbols of the real, literal body of Christ, which is in one place alone, namely at the Father's right hand in heaven, having died historically, rose literally from the grave, ascended bodily into heaven where he intercedes for us and it is not now on the earth and will come again someday in the clouds in glory. Yet, we feed spiritually on the real spiritual presence of Jesus Christ. Now here, very briefly, why don't you turn to John 6 with me and I'll show you where the division of house comes and the texts that you will hear used to defend the two sides and why I believe we should press on in the direction we have set for ourselves in our own communion. In John chapter 6, Martin Luther and Ulrich Zwingli, who represented the Reformed view at the Marburg Colloquy in 1529, where they could not get agreement on this and have not to this day, Martin Luther looked at verse 53 and following in this chapter and read, So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. And he relentlessly in the debate quoted 1 Corinthians 11.24 to Zwingli, this is my body. He wrote it with chalk on the big conference table around which they were gathered in the debate. And he said, it's a tampering with the word of God. If you say this is my body means this represents my body. And then he goes back to 653. We must eat the flesh of the son of man or we have no life in us. Now, Zwingli was not daunted by these words, and Martin Luther could be daunting. He said in response 
Martin, look at verse 63 to understand how to understand, how to understand the words you're quoting. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. And with equal vehemence, he lifted his voice. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you in verse 53, Martin, are spirit and life. And he was exasperated by Luther's relentless repetition of, this is my body, this is my body. And he said, Zwingli said, I remain firm at this text, the flesh profits nothing. I shall oblige you to return to it. You will have to sing a different tune with me. Now, I believe Zwingli had the better of it here. It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. In other words, when I say to you that you must eat the flesh of the Son of Man, I mean what I have said to you throughout the whole gospel. I'm the bread of life. I'm the fountain of living water. I am life to you. Feed on me spiritually. Receive me spiritually. Know me with your heart and mind and soul. And when you come to the table and you eat, know that I will be there to feed you. Let me give you one other pointer in this direction. Back in chapter 11, verse 25. When it says in verse 25, He took the cup. Also, after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. I know of no one who argues that the cup is the covenant. The covenant is the commitment of the living God. To save to the uttermost those who believe in Jesus. The cup contains the blood which bought the covenant. And it is shorthand for that to say the cup is the covenant in the blood. That's the way language works. You pull out a picture of your child and you say, this is Talitha. And everybody knows what you mean. And therefore, we are in that camp which believes that the body of our Lord Jesus Christ is at the right hand of the Father. And that by His Spirit, He draws near now as we move to this table. And He offers the benefits and the beauties and the worth of His body and His blood for us to feed upon Him spiritually. And this will now be an act of worship if we remember him because he's infinitely worthy of being remembered. And if we proclaim him because he is infinitely worthy of being proclaimed. And if we nourish our souls on Christ as we eat. 
Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and nourish you and give you peace. And all the people said, Amen. Amen. You're dismissed.